I want to talk to you this morning about the characteristics of an overcomer. We've been talking about living the overcoming life, and sometimes we don't really know exactly what that is. You know, we know maybe when we have conquered or when we've overcome something, but um, sometimes I think we get the impression that a Christian has to be just a Casper milk toast, mild, meek person that uh, is never riled or riled up or anything like that, and uh, never loses temper. Well, we should never lose our temper. Temper ought to be in control, and it's a very good thing when it's used in the, in the correct manner. Jesus went into the temple, and he sat down and calmly braided a whip, and then he commenced to drive out the money changers from the temple, turning over the tables, and said, my father's, this, my father's house is a house of prayer. He directed that anger toward the enemy and conquered that, those things. We need to learn how to channel those things, but we need to know that we are a warrior and what that means, how we are to go about as a fighter, as a warrior, that we are, ought to be fearless, we ought to be noble, we ought to be realistic in some things, we, we ought to have eternal values, not just uh, temporal values. We need to learn how to be aggressive and have, have endurance and diligence. Those are characteristics of an overcomer and we need to see how we're to put them into place. And, you know, sometimes we, uh, I was thinking the other day about, you know, to become a, a veteran, you gotta be a good soldier. And so we need to become veterans in the army of God and be overcomers, be good soldiers in, in the army of God. In the, the book of Joel, if you wanna turn there, it's in the Old Testament, it's probably where the pages are stuck together. In Joel, uh, and uh, disciples quoted him often. He's got some good things to say. But this is in chapter 3, verse 9 of the book of Joel. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Don't get nervous. Uh, One thing, just for you to realize, America and Great Britain are the only ones that have the King James Bible. I've traveled all around the world and, you know, and preached in many different languages, and they translate and interpret. So, uh, People ask me, which is the best translation? I say, the one that translates from the page to the heart. And I know there's some, there's some challenges saying that the NIV has left out some scriptures. And if you go in your King James and look at the little, little, the little letters there, it'll say, this text was not in the original manuscripts. So don't get all nervous, because I quote from the King James, from the New International Version, sometimes from the Amplified, sometimes from you know, various things. You know, the New King James is different than the, the King James. The American Standard is different. But when I have, a, I have a copy of the 1611, so if you're really into King James, then you need to get the 1611 because that's the, that's the real deal. So I've got a copy of it. It takes a little bit of a learning curve to be able to read it. And as soon as it was out, they had to change it because of the mistakes that were in it. So it's been changed many, many times. What we have today, and known as the King James, is not the Bible that they had, and also some people say, well, this is, what, this is the Bible that the... Now, I'm not trashing the King James because most, I memorize most the scriptures that I memorize are in the King James. I just want you to know that you don't get caught up on something. The devil doesn't get you stuck down and not hearing the word, but, but um, you know, people say, well, that's what... The King James is what this country was founded upon. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. There was the Bishop's Bible. There was the King James Bible. And when the pilgrims came, they used the Geneva Bible because they did not want the influence 
of the king or the bishop into this new nation. In fact, if you've been in the Capitol building in uh, Washington, D.C., this life-size portrait that stands there off to the right as you come in is a picture of the pilgrims landing on the shores of America, and they're planting a cross, and under their arm is the Geneva Bible. So, you know, the King James was a translation from the Great Bible and for the best uh, manuscripts that they had. So it's good. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Thank you, sir. I'm a little bit thirsty. I don't want to be a dry preacher. Uh, the Word of God is good, but it doesn't do anybody any good if you don't read it. So it doesn't matter what you're reading. Read it, you know, and, uh, and, and read several. So turn to, turn to Joel chapter 3, verse 9, and it says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. There's an exclamation mark there. So just kind of hang on that just a second. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. I believe that's a word from God today for us. Since September of 2013, when I had a little incident and died three times in the hospital, the Lord said he wasn't done with me, he wasn't finished with me, and that I was to help prepare the bride uh, for his coming, and that there was going to be some shaking and all things that would be shaken would be all things that could be shaken would be shaken. Many of you remember a lot of the different messages, bridal messages, and that one thing in particular, for well over a year, have been talking about September 13th, which is a, a time frame on the Jewish calendar that's very important, very significant. So between that time of September 13th and October 8th, and throughout the month, the next couple of months here, September and October, I think that we're going to see some things happening globally, financially. Uh, it stands to reason that it would happen if it doesn't. You know, we're praying, we're praying for God to, to turn things around and that he would spare those that, uh, that he would for his mercy. But he has his own timetable. So I guess my word would be prepare for the, the, the worst and get ready for victory. So, I mean, you know, uh, you can't go wrong there. But... Joel says this, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Many times Joel is quoted for in the last days where it says, you know, uh, his spirit will be poured out on all flesh and your, your young man shall dream dreams and your old man will have visions and different things like that. And I'm in middle-aged crisis, I'm having dreams and visions. And so <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. But so Joel chapter 3 verse 9 starts out, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. This, our podcast is going into over 21 nations, surprisingly. We didn't advertise it. Somehow or another, they just found it. And some of those places are strange places, places we've never visited. God's just is sovereignly doing it. So I would say to the nations, those that even hear this by the podcast, to prepare for war, rouse the warriors. So warriors today, you need to be roused up. You need, to, you need to be roused, ready for this thing. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Those are some pretty strong, direct words, wouldn't you say? Do you think there's anything to them? Well, I would think there is. If, if not, it wouldn't be in the Bible, first of all. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't be emphasizing it the way that <clears throat> I sense that he's emphasizing it. It's not the first time that I've read this scripture or 
or inserted it into a message, into a, uh, a sermon, but boy, I feel like that this is something that we need to hear and you, and you need to think about and you need to remember. So as we rouse the warriors, it says, let all the fighting men draw near and attack. One good thing about the body of Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. So women, you are fighters. You are our warriors. And so just because it says fighting men, that doesn't mean that you're left out because we need you. You are part of the body of Christ. We're under the new covenant. So it's neither male nor female. There's no gender discrimination in the, in the body of Christ. Lord, help us. <clears throat> That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> the first thing, the first characteristic for an overcomer is to be a warrior. Someone were to break into your house and they were there to steal, kill, and to destroy everything that you had, you and your family. Would you back into a corner and just allow them to have their way or would you go down fighting? I've always said, you know, if I'm going to die, if I'm going to die anyway, you better believe I'm going to try to inflict as much of what I can on the person that's trying to do that damage, especially to my family. So family of God, Jesus said that the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. So we need to know that the thief is active today. And he is attacking today, and he is coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy whatever you have and whatever he can have access to. You need to pray over your sons and your daughters, over your, yourselves, over your spouse all the time. Sandy said, during the night, she, she laid hands on me and prayed for me. I said, man, I had a great night's sleep last night. A couple of days prior, things were a little rough. But uh, praise God for that. And we need to pray one for another, always, loving one another, praying. We need to learn how to be a warrior. You know, David was a warrior and a worshiper. Uh, Joshua was a warrior. Samson was a warrior. You know, there, you, we just go through, there's, there's many warriors. And the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of eternal life. <clears throat> I tell you what, I have, I have laid hands on my vehicles and I've released eternal life into them at times of when they were broke down and things have happened that shouldn't happen. Eternal life, it's Zoe, is a powerful force. It's found in every sell everything upon the face of the earth. Every atom, when they break it down, they find something that they can't figure out what it is. And it's light. It comes in the form of light, but it's energy and it's a burst of energy that's, that's shooting across there. Life. And so I figure that everything is made, is made out of atoms, particles of something other. And so God can go to the very source and bring life to it and keep it going. I've had vehicles, I've told this story before, we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, bad winter. It was about, I got up to go to church at six o'clock. I got up about five and went out to get in. It was snow all over the ground and it was about nine degrees. Does anybody know what nine degrees feels like? It's, it's piercing, it's burning, it's yucky. And I uh, went out, had a little Mazda station wagon and I went out and I turned the key and it didn't even go, Whoa. it didn't, it just, 
It didn't even click. It just, well, there was a little click at first. And I said, well, I know it's cold. And so I'm thinking, I bet my neighbor has jumper cables, but he probably doesn't want to be woke up at 5.30 in the morning and it'd be nine degrees and go out looking for his jumper cables. And so I tried again and it wouldn't work. And so I was going to try to push it out of the driveway. And here's snow on the ground, it's slick, and I'm trying to push that vehicle, and I can't get any traction. So I thought if I could push it back enough, then I could roll it forward and jump in and have it in second and maybe pop the clutch. That doesn't work when you have ice that you're trying to work on. Things slide. <laughs> you know, this didn't work. So I was getting frustrated, and um, I went in to wake somebody up <laughs> to share my misery. And so I told, woke Sandy up and said, well, the car won't start in case you're wondering why it's out there. But I'm, I'm still going to go to the church. I'm going to walk down to the corner and about, oh, about a half mile away, the, the bus, the transit system for Tulsa came through. So I thought, I'm going to go catch a bus and I'll just figure out how to get to the church. I'm not going to let the devil steal this from me. I'm going to go on to pray. And so uh, after I told her that, I was walking down the hall and the Lord said, did you pray? And I said, well, of course I've been praying, Lord. And, uh, you know, he says, uh, did you pray specifically over that vehicle? And I thought, well, I don't know. I guess he knows more than I do. And so uh, I thought, well, I better give it one more shot. So I got in the vehicle and uh, nothing happened. And so I thought, okay, it's time to pray. So I prayed. I thought, if I, if I had jumper cables, and that's what I told the Lord, if I had jumper cables, you know, and then I thought, well, what, would I, what else would I use to jump it from, you know? And so I just, something just came over me. It was the power of God. And I just thought about eternal life. And I thought about that Zoe power and, and what it was. And I just in, in envisioned my hands around each one of those battery terminals. And I prayed and I spoke eternal life into that thing. And man, I mean, that was one of those prayers of power and all that stuff. And I felt real good about it, you know. And so I finished the prayer and I thought, hmm, Now's when you have to put your faith to work, right? And I thought, oh, no. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try this. And I hit that key. And I mean, that thing went, whoa! Well, I put it in gear. I thought, I'm out of here before something else happens. <laughs> now, that might sound strange, but it's happened. I've, we've come back from the interior of Mexico and had vehicle problems. Uh, cars break down. Lights come on about uh, alternators and have new alternators put on and it still do the same thing, realizing that it's, a, it's spiritual opposition and pray and see the light go off. And then stop praying and, and have the light come back on. And say the name of Jesus and see it go off. And like, is this, is this me or is this really happening? Some strange things that I've seen happen when we exercise this warrior spirit, a character within us, and release eternal life into certain things. And then, and then function in eternal life with eternal life in us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus is a warrior, and so are we. You know, his name is referred to, in the Bible you'll see the Lord, and, and so you should look up each one of those word, words, Lord, to see how it's identifying him. A lot of times it means Yahweh, and usually when there's no way, then just say Yahweh. And when there's no way, there's Yahweh, and, and he's the one that causes things to come into existence. And in uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, a great verse to write down, for you to keep and to look at Exodus 15 3 while you're turning there what does it say the Lord is a warrior and I got in parentheses Yahweh 
The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name, or the Lord is his name. The Lord is a warrior, so I should be too, right? You should be a warrior because we're to be like him. So if the Lord is a warrior, then I should be a warrior also. <clears throat> Isaiah 42, just jot these down. We'll run through some quick. Isaiah 42, verse 13, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. And we're to be just like him. These are the scriptures that you need to have right at hand. When you draw that sword of the spirit, then you can use these. You need to pray scriptures. You need to declare scriptures. You need to use it as an offensive weapon. You need to use prayer, uh, the word of God as a defensive weapon as also. You know, in sword fighting, they're blocking as well as trying to jab, you know, and so it works both ways, and it's a two-edged sword. It cuts and it divides soul and spirit, and that's important in warfare because our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and our mind tells us why we can't, but... We override that with our spirit that tells us with the word of God why we can. And our will sometimes is to do the easiest thing, but we surrender our will to the Lord and his will is to advance his kingdom. Our emotions get full of fear and doubt and worry, but yet if when we surrender them and allow the Holy Spirit to come into that, then there is faith and be hope and believing in him. And those things reverse and turns it around. And so... Isaiah again says, the Lord will march out like a mighty man, like a warrior. He will stir up, up his zeal. When you don't have any zeal, then don't get mad at somebody else. You stir up your own zeal. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that's within you. There's times that we as a warrior say, come on, get up, get in the fight. Get in the fight. Get with it. You know, speak to your, Paul said, speaking to yourself with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's sometimes that you just need to say, come on, don't be a wimp. Don't be a weenie, be a win winner. You know? Don't be a victim, be a victor. And, and speak to yourself it, let, through, with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and through the Spirit of God, speak to your mind, your will, and your emotions and say, stand up like a man of God or a woman of God and advance like a mighty warrior. He says, with a shout, he will raise the battle cry. Sometimes you just need to shout. You do that at a stoplight and you happen to notice somebody's looking at you and you just go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You ever get caught praising God in your car? You ought to. It's fun. You ought to say, I'll roll your window down. Come on, praise him. Come on, praise him. You ought to just do that sometimes. See what they do. They, they, they stop looking real quick. <laughs> they think, boy, this guy's crazy. <laughs> he is cray-cray, man. He didn't know what's going on. So it says, and we'll triumph over his enemies. We will triumph over, the warrior triumphs over his enemies. Amen. So we're, he's a warrior. We ought to be a warrior also. You know, warfare is proof that your enemy has discerned your future. So go in then if he makes an advance against you and knock him out of the way. Now don't get sidetracked. There's some people who get so sidetracked that all they do is chase demons all the time. We're not called to go and do that. We're called to go and bring forth fruit, fruit that will remain. We're called to go and win souls, win the lost. We're called to develop the saved. But let me tell you, just like those Navy SEALs, you know, they're usually, they, they go in, they have a mission to go in and do something, either reconnaissance or rescue or whatever, and they're taught to be stealthy and not to, for the enemy not to notice that they're there. But if they do and if they're engaged, they know how to fight.
They know how to fight well. So think about that because I've seen so many people get off track and man, they're fighting this demon and fighting that demon and fighting this. And Satan's like, go ahead, fight with them. Just keep them over here as long as they're over there fighting. Then they're not out here advancing. What we're going to do is advance and if Satan gets in our way and he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, we knock him out and we keep on on our mission. Don't forget what our mission is, to go forward. You never outgrow warfare. You never reach a spiritual level spiritual maturity that you outgrow warfare you just must simply learn how to fight if you don't know how to learn if you don't know how to fight then you need to learn how to fight as a as a believer because warfare will never leave you we see that we read that the lord is a warrior amen the second characteristic is fearless we're to be fearless no fear in us amen a brave heart in christ second chronicles 32 Verse 7. Turn to there, 2 Chronicles 32, 7. Speaking here, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria. And aren't we having some problems with Syria now? We don't hear quite as much out of them as we did maybe a year ago because we took care of some business over there. But... Uh, same thing, listen to this. I mean, this makes sense today. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. There's a greater power with us than with him. There's greater force on our side than there's on the other side. Verse 8, with him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And our people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Judah was the tribe of, uh, uh, where Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah really is where they came, the, those that would praise the Lord. And it would be, mean that. It would symbolize praising. And so out of praise and worship comes this fearlessness times of being in the presence of God, you think, man, I'm nine foot tall and invincible. Come on, devil, what you got? <laughs> Show me what you got. You're going down on this time. But be fearless. Hebrews 13, 6 is a wonderful scripture to memorize. It says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? <laughs> and sometimes you get to the point of where, what else could happen? <laughs> I mean, nothing else could happen, so what's, what's the deal? Bring it on, you know. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. When you feel fear coming on you because of a, of a report or because of financial situations or because of rumors at work or, or whatever, you just quote that scripture and say, with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Proverbs 28, 1. The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Psalm 27, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Praise God. We got to be fearless. 
We got to be a warrior. We have to be fearless in the face of the enemy. And you need to be noble. An overcomer is noble. What does that mean? It means having high moral qualities, a worthy successor. What are we a successor? Well, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Are you noble? You have been declared righteous. You are the child of God. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've been grafted in. Praise God. Noble means the quality of being exalted in the character or ideals of conduct. We are to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are kings and priests. We're not to live like something less. And Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, it really tells us who we are who God sees us to be, who he declares that we are. Paul says in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are blessed. Say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Say, I'm blessed beyond the curse. Beyond the curse. What God has blessed, God has blessed. no man can curse. <laughs> Amen. Uh, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, spirit, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him. He chose you. You think you chose him. But he chose you. Praise God. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. He chose you to be holy. When you wonder if you... Confused about what your destiny or your purpose is, your purpose is to be holy, first and foremost. He chose us uh, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Wow! In accordance with His... It was, it was pleasing to God to adopt us into His family and place us as full, mature sons of God. That's who you are. So I don't feel like it. Well, but God says you are, and you have the same rights and responsibilities as a full, mature son of God right now. You don't have to reach a certain age or, or spiritual maturity. Well, whenever I get a little more uh, spiritual, then maybe these things will happen. No, no, no. It's at the instant that you're saved, he transfers to your account and to you as a person this character of who you are. And, you know, you can, you know, you can, you can put the devil to flight. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight is what the word of God says. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves in Christ Jesus. In him, speaking of in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. He's redeemed us. The forgiveness of sins, he has forgiven us in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Not in accordance with your works, but he's forgiven us in, in accordance with the riches of his grace, his unmerited favor that he shows to us, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Quit telling yourself that I just can't remember things anymore. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Wisdom and understanding flow through me. I've been given wisdom and understanding, the, the wisdom of God. It says he, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will uh, according to his good pleasure, which it, he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even under Christ. We are in that time. 
And all things are under Christ. And he exercises his authority over all those things through the body of Christ globally. And we have a responsibility here. And so we have this noble character. We are kings and priests and heirs uh, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're the head and not the tail. Amen. It says also there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He chose us in him and he predestined, he predetermined that we would be a part of something, a part of his will. So all we need to do is surrender. We used to sing that old song, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender I surrender all. And when we surrender our will, his will comes into effect. And look out, devil. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When the devil tries to come around and, and confuse you and ask you, are you even saved? Are you even a child of God? You, say, you need to say, yes, I am, and I am sealed. And it's a guarantee that, that my salvation is secure in Christ because the Holy Spirit guarantees it. Amen. You know, this nobility is a state of being noble, of noble birth. Well, do you think that our spiritual birth is of noble birth? Amen, kings and priests. It is a privileged class holding hereditary titles. Yes, we are blessed. We are privileged to be in the body of Christ. And we have a title in him that we are heirs and joint heirs, that we're kings and priests in him. Romans chapter 8 Verses 15 through 18 help in, in, uh, make, this, make us aware of that. Verse 15 of Romans 8. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Praise God. Every day when you die to your flesh, Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that, that our flesh was nailed to the cross. When Christ died, we, our old nature died with him. And so as he suffered, then we suffer. We identify with his suffering by dying to ourself and becoming new in him and walking in a newness of life. You say, oh, I thought it was some other kind of suffering. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. That comes too. <laughs> but that's the first place is we die to ourself and we identify with it. He suffered and he died for us for salvation. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Praise God. You ain't seen nothing yet. That's how we'd say it in Texas. You ain't seen nothing yet. Hallelujah. Being able to say, I am of value. It matters that I am alive. That's what you ought to say. When the devil tells you what you're not and, and this and that and tries to put you down and you think, begin to feel worthless or depressed or discouraged, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am of value. 
If I wasn't of value, he wouldn't have died for me. He gave everything he had for me. So that means I am valuable to the Lord. I am valuable and it matters that I'm alive. In my little experience, I thought I was saying I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I'm ready to go on. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this suffering. I'm, you know, hey, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. I, it's gain. I'm going on. Well, that's true, but it just wasn't my time. And God says, you are of value. It matters that you are alive. What? What? When's the last time you heard somebody tell you that? Very rarely. Well, I'm telling you today that you are of value and it matters that you are alive because God is not finished with us. He has something for us to do. He has something for you to do. Amen. Amen. And, and so it, it matters. Well, we're to be warriors. We're to be fearless. We are to be of noble character. And we're to be, here it comes, realistic. Pastor, how can you be spiritual and be realistic? Well, I've seen a lot of unrealistic spiritual people. Haven't you? Some, some crazy people. Y'all are being, now you're nervous. Now you're getting, getting restless now. I like it when you squirm. Pastor, pe preachers like for people to squirm a little bit, you know. Now, you know, realistic means this. It simply means having a sensible and practical idea of what can be achieved or expected. Representing things in a way that is accurate and true to life. Now, you see, well, let me read this. Now, listen to this scripture in Romans chapter 4, and you should underline these. Romans 4, 19, talking about Abraham. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Now, real, being realistic, the definition goes on to be the quality or fact of being real, a tendency to face the facts. A tendency to face the facts. You know, what has happened, there was a hyper-faith movement that swept through the body of Christ that, that gave us the impression that we shouldn't think about the facts because if I think about them, then I might be drawn over to them. And, and I, I know I can, I know I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, like the little train, you know, you get up there. So if I just don't think about those things, then I'll think about these and being, that's all that is, that's, that's Christian scientists. Just go join their church if that's what you want to do. That's mind over matter. And most people don't have a mind, so it doesn't matter anyway. So, you know, you know and that's not what it's talking about. What you do is you face the fact that the giant is nine foot standing out there cursing the army of God. And you face the fact that, yeah, nobody else is going to be able to do this, so I need to step up and take him out. And the fact is, if I hit him right there in the head with this stone, then he's going down. The fact is, he's so big I can't miss him. Turn the facts around. The fact is, nobody else knows what to do, but my God will take care of it. Amen. Amen. And so it, it says this about Abraham. I love this. Verse 19, chapter 4. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the facts that his body was as good as dead. When he faced the facts, he didn't weaken in his faith because he was going to need that faith in just a little bit. It says, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet... He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. When you face the facts and all it does is increase your faith instead of weakening your faith, we're talking about overcoming power right there. Something's got to move. The devil doesn't want you to look at him. He doesn't want you to face the facts because he wants to make them out to be bigger than what they really are. But when you compare them, compare the facts to the fact that God is over all things. God is a big God. The fact is that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The fact is that, that there, there's greater power that's for me than the power that's against me. That's the fact. Amen? So when you face those facts, those natural facts, then you begin to also bring about the supernatural facts and you combat that thing. And the Bible says that no weapon that's formed or fashioned against you shall prosper. It can't succeed. Hallelujah. I might get excited and start preaching here in a minute. I know this sounds strange, but I expect conflict, but I prepare for victory. I mean, really, in a sense, we're not realistic if we don't think, if we think that everything's going to go along okay. Because, you know, if there's no friction, there's no heat. <laughs> there's no, or there's no smoke, there's no fire. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? If you're not causing any problems against the kingdom of darkness, then he has nothing to worry about. He won't bother you anyway. So, oh, okay, I'm going to take that strategy. I'm not going to bother him. I heard a preacher one time say, well, I just don't, I don't confront the devil because, uh, you know, uh, I don't want him chasing me. Duh, he's chasing you anyway. Sounds to me like he's got you all bound up. I thought, I can't believe this. What? What? That's his mission. That's what he does, and he's good at it. So you better prepare for victory. You better be an overcomer. You better learn how to be a warrior. You better be fearless. You ought to have noble character that when he brings accusations against you, and he will, that, that noble character, you'll outlast that. If we live long enough, people will see that we are who we are rather than what men say that we are. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. When you're not in a, con a conflict, you're between a conflict. <laughs> but don't worry about that. That's the facts. Be realistic. And say, th you know, I've told Sandy before when things are, different things are happening and we start, we, maybe we'll go out to eat. She'll say, well, I just don't know if this is such and such happening. Not that she's, she encourages me, but just, you know, maybe we'll catch one. Of, and I'll say, well, then we better, do, we better go out to eat now because we might not get another chance in about two hours. <laughs> Let's do it now. Like President Lincoln, when he told the guy to plant the tree and the guy says, well, that tree won't even reach maturity until 60 years. He said, well, in that case, plant it right now. <laughs> I mean, conflict's coming. So you catch a moment, praise him, <laughs> enjoy him, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul said, again, I say rejoice. Enjoy the good times and fight your way through the, the difficult times and be a winner, not a wiener. Amen. I like that. I'm going to hang on to that. We'll have tags when we come into church that you can put on. You can choose either I'm a winner or I'm a wiener. <laughs> Which I knew the Oscar Mayer song. I'd sing it right. <laughs> so the next thing is happy that an overcomer, the characteristic of an overcomer, an overcomer has eternal values. 
You know, if a man knows, a person said this, if a man knows not what harbor he seeks, any wind is the right wind. People are being blown, it says in Ephesians, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine with itching ears, just wanting to hear this. And we're here, we're there, we're here, we're there. What, what are your eternal values? What, what really means the most to you? Where are you supposed to be looking? What are your goals, your spiritual goals? What does God have for you? What is his purpose? Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow, Jesus did that. We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to see what he did. Be like him. The truth that we have is costly. But I'll tell you this, it stands up under the pressure of life. The word that you hear here at Light Christian Center, you might not always like it because you think, well, that's... Oh man, that's going to cost me something. In other words, I'm, I'm going to have a conflict. I might have a battle. Well, I'm trying to tell you the truth. Yes, you will. And you need to be ready. But I want to equip you to, to be able to stand through these things and come out as an overcomer. And the truth that we have is costly, but it stands up under the pressures of life. Boy, I, I can testify from now till through Labor Day, if you wanted to hear the testimonies I could share about what I've gone through and what I, the price I've paid to preach the truth and preach the bridal gospel message. But I can say this, it stands up under the pressures of life. <laughs> yeah, when I go through a, the, the metal detectors at the airport, things start buzzing before I even get there. I got two titanium hips. I got stainless steel wire holding this jaw together. I got pins and stuff in other places. I told Sandy she doesn't have to. I know we're one together. She doesn't have to be like me. Now she's got a pin in her shoulder. <laughs> well, I go through a metal detector. I just start taking stuff off. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't have to take all that off. I said, well, I did last time. <laughs> so... <laughs> It stands up under the pressures of life. The sixth thing, character that we need to have as an overcomer is we need to be aggressive. Aggressive. Don't be a wimp. Aggressive means having or showing determination and energetic pursuit of one's ends. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He aggressively sought God. The woman that had an issue of blood, she pressed through the crowd and she reached it. She was aggressive. She didn't wait for him to come to her. She went to him. We've got to be aggressive in coming to the throne of God. It says, come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in our time of need. When he says, come boldly, he said, come on, be aggressive and come to me. Push through everything that the devil has thrown in your way and you get it out of the way and you come to me. Be aggressive. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women there, has, and this verse is very controversial because this is one of the places where the King James, we don't understand it because it was written in that language. In the King James, Jesus said, 
uh, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. The word suffereth there means forcefully advance. Because Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Same word. He didn't mean to make them suffer. Beat them. Suffer them children. Suffer them. <laughs> make them suffer. <laughs> and, and then let me have them. <laughs> and I'll show them what's up. That's not what he was meaning, was he? So that word means to forcefully advance. Force, let them just come to me with everything. Let them come to me and uh, forbid them not. This is the kingdom of God that's in them, that aggressiveness and everything. And so the word suffer means to forcefully advance. So the NIV translates it like this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, and I raise my hand saying that's me, is greater than he. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and the forceful men lay hold of it. Come on, let's be forceful. Let's lay hold of the kingdom of God. Let's advance the kingdom of God. Every place that the sole of our feet trods, then it ought to be the kingdom of God. When I step into a hospital, I say, well, I thank you. As we went into Baxter General Hospital in Mountain Home, Arkansas, after we had this motorcycle wreck, as soon as my foot hit the ground, I said, I claim this for the kingdom of God. Every place my foot walks is in the kingdom of God. Every doctor, every employee, every nurse, everybody in here, now you're, there's something different. Now then, you're under a new control, a new authority, and it's Jesus Christ. When the president sets his foot down, I want to tell you something, America surrounds him. Something different happens. There's a new command. There's a new control. And when he walks, he takes America with him. When we walk, we take the kingdom of God with us. Amen. You be aggressive and don't back up from the devil. Don't back up. Don't shut up. Don't let up until you go up. And when the devil tries to push you, I remember this wreck. <clears throat> Tell all the story, but as I'm sliding down the, the path, the highway there, and helmets grinding, and the devil was saying some stuff to me, and the more he talked, the madder I got. The madder I got, the more I jumped up as soon as we could get up and laid hands on Sandy and begin to pray and declare and take that under the, the authority of God. The ambulance and everything else. In fact, the ambulance driver, when I told him that she was a hard stick and he better watch, I must have been still having some of this adrenaline flowing because he said, I'm not going to touch her. I know she's going to be okay. And I said, okay. They never say that. They, well, let's just try again. And he says, I know she's going to be all right. I said, that's good. How do you know that? He says, because you prayed it. And I said... I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and so he said, and that's when I got an opportunity to witness to him, and I told you about that. But people, I'm going to tell you, we need to be aggressive in the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be embarrassed. You shouldn't be embarrassed to bow your head at a table and pray over your food and thank God for the provision that he has given to you to take that, to receive that food that he's provided and claim it for health and healing. I had somebody come up and pay our... Or, when we got ready to check out, somebody said they paid our, for our lunch. And really? They said, yeah, they saw you. They said to tell you they saw you praying, and so they paid for your lunch. I thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> be aggressive. It pays to be aggressive. Man, I hate Satan and what he does. What he does to people. 
what he does to you? You don't think I get aggressive? The Bible talks, Jesus talks about the shepherd that will go and drag, even if the, the lion, just drag the, the foot of the sheep out of the lion's mouth. I've fought some lions for some of you. And we all will do the same. When we learn how to be aggressive, we will stand together one for another. Psalm 97, verse 10, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Amen. Psalm 45, 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with oil of joy. That you, in the midst of a trial, you can have joy. Why? Because you hate wickedness. Until we get to the point of where we hate uh, domestic violence and when we hate what drugs does to not only the, the person, the user, but to that entire family, to that community. Until we get to that where we hate those things, we'll never love that person that's in the midst of that enough to br help bring them out. God loves people and he hates the sin. We've got to learn how to hate wickedness and love that person and bring them out. You've got to have endurance that's the characteristic that you need to have as an, as, as an overcomer. It means the power to withstand hardship and stress. Endurance. The power to withstand hardship and stress. It means tolerate, remain in existence, suffer patiently. 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul said, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We're soldiers, we're warriors. He says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier. The price of victory is worth the pain. I can say that from personal experience. The price of victory is worth the pain. Victory is everything. Victory is everything. We're overcomers. We've been declared to be an overcomer because we've overcome the world. We've overcome the sin that, that was against us. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 1 Corinthians 4.12, we work hard with our own hands. When we, were, when we were, are cursed, we are, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. You ought to be able to say, when you're as an overcomer, you ought to be able to say, because of my destiny, I can withstand any trial and opposition. And have that mindset, that characteristic that says no weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper. Because of my destiny, because of the calling that's on my life, I can withstand any trial and opposition that the devil throws at you. You say, well, pastor, won't that just make him mad and he throw something at you? Yeah. So you have a chance to knock it out of the way and keep moving on. Let me tell you something. The bridal company, the overcomers, are not, they're not general populace. They are a select group. 
They're like a, the special forces. God's saying, get them ready. Get them ready. Get them ready. The last one is discipline. Discipline. That means training that develops self-control and efficiency. Discipline. We need discipline. Strict control to enforce obedience. We need strict control over ourselves so that we can enforce obedience to God. It means orderly conduct. How do you react or do you respond in a situation, in a circumstance? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking and seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for someone to devour. Might as well just go right on around, buddy, because you're going to choke on me. Daniel, you didn't, the lions couldn't eat Daniel. Whatever you throw at me can't eat me. First Thessalonians, Paul says to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, which is a great chapter, verse 6, he says, so, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So an overcomer has this discipline to be self-controlled that we don't do what others do. You can, but it won't, prop, it won't prosper you. It won't help you to be an overcomer. It will just bring you down. The wages of sin is still death or separation. It'll separate you from the blessings of God. And so you need to be self-controlled in the sense that, yeah, you know what? I, I've got the, the liberty, the freedom to do whatever I choose to do, freedom of choice. But what I choose is I choose to do what God says for me to do. I choose the right thing. I discipline myself and make the choices of God because I've surrendered my will. And it's not my will anymore. It's his will. Man, that's some overcoming stuff right there. And when that happens, what's the devil going to do to you? What he used to bring around your way and tempt you? And you say, hmm, I'm dead to that stuff. When you're dead, you're dead. You're, if you're laying in a casket dead and you used to be a drug user, they can bring your drug of choice and put it right on you. And you won't mess with it because you're dead. That make sense? So when you're in Christ, you die to that, you're dead to it. And it doesn't make any difference anymore. Get that in, our, in your head and, and, and understand that and live that and be disciplined in that because you will be tempted. You will be tempted. I wrote down here on this part, if I get out of condition, I will be removed from my place in the battle. In Revelation, it says, hold fast that which you have. Let no man take your crown. He's talking to the overcomers there. He says, you, you have some self-discipline. You have these characteristics that we're talking about, and you hold fast, and you keep pushing and keep pressing on. Don't let, or if not, you get out of, bat, out of place of battle, somebody else is going to get your crown. In other words, you get a crown for overcoming, but if you don't overcome and you step back and you don't fulfill your job, somebody else has to step up and do their job and your job, and we're getting tired of doing your job. So why don't you step that's a good place to laugh or say, oh, me, one or the other. I don't know. <laughs> but you step up, do your job so that somebody else doesn't have to do it. And then they'll have two crowns. But when they have two crowns, Roberta, they get to come up and you're going to probably have about 1,500 crowns. And you're going to say, wait a minute, I got some more, Jesus. Hold, hold those there. Just say, run back and get, get some more. I got some more. Just a second. Wait a minute. <laughs> Keep laying them at his feet. Amen. 
discipline. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. He said they go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will... Uh, they do it when they're like these Olympians and, and, and training for the Olympics and various things like this. He said they do it to obtain a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Spiritual conditioning and discipline. He goes on to say, therefore, I do not run like man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, you got to stay in shape here spiritually. Let these characteristics be to the forefront. Be a warrior. Be fearless. Have noble character. Uh, be realistic and face the facts. Face the giants. Speak to the mountains and, and, and have eternal values that you're focusing on, some eternal value goals to win the lost, develop the saved. And be aggressive in it. And be aggressive in coming before the Lord, knowing that what you need for, the, your, the king, for the, your ministry to advance the kingdom, that God said, I'll supply those things. And then... Get ready and have some endurance. Don't just quit the first time something comes your way. Man, you kick in and you, you dig in and you say, I am moving forward. And if I gain an inch, then I've gained an inch. And if I gain another inch, I gain another inch. I remember one time I was just pressing so hard on one thing, just praying. It felt like I had my shoulder just pressing, just pressing, just pressing, praying. And it was like month after month. And I prayed it. And all, all of a sudden, I felt a kind of a give in prayer. And I thought, whoa, what was that? And I thought, wow, oh, I gained something. Something cracked. Something cracked in the enemy line. And I started pressing more, and I got a little bit more. And I could feel that in the, in the spiritual realm. I felt that, and I thought, that is so cool. Because that's just like when you've been straining, and all of a sudden you just get a little, <coughs> a little breakthrough. Sometimes those breakthroughs, they come inch by inch. They say football is a game of inches. <sighs> spiritual warfare is too. Paul said, he, he said, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Have these, these things, have these characteristics in, in you. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father.